Hello, and welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. This week, we're continuing our candidate conversation series for Utah's Republican gubernatorial convention coming up on April 25th. We're extending invitations to all the candidates for governor and their running mates for lieutenant governor to be on our podcast and discuss their policy positions and why they think they're the best choice to lead the state's government. Joining us on this episode is former Utah governor John Huntsman Jr. and his running mate, Provo Mayor Michelle Kafusi. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. So I'm going to start with you, uh, John. I would ask you to, I mean, introduce yourself as if we don't already know, but kind of tell us what uh, what you've been up to and, and why it is you feel like you want to kind of get back into this uh, foray again and, and run for governor. Well, thanks, uh, Jason. It's a pleasure to be with you and, and Amy. And it's, uh, it's a very distinct pleasure to have Michelle, uh, my esteemed running mate, uh, as part of this program as well. Uh, and I'm glad I could get somebody who knows something about sports uh, so that uh, Amy could uh, show some <laughs> excitement over it. So that's great. Uh, listen, I'm I'm a dad. I'm a grandpa. I've got seven kids, uh, got uh, eight grandkids, uh, seventh generation Utah. I was born in California, raised in Los Angeles, lived uh, back east, uh, have uh, been an on again, off again uh, public servant. I believe that service to others is uh, probably the greatest uh, uh, achievement in one's professional pursuit anyway. Um, and I've been in business uh, along with uh, uh, a brother and, uh, and, uh, and a late dad uh, in starting uh, Huntsman Corporation uh, uh, early on. So it's really been a combination of, uh, of business and, and public service and uh, trying to raise a good family, which is probably the most important thing I do. Okay, let me ask you, John, before we introduce Michelle, um, A, why did you want to run for governor again? And B, uh, why pick Michelle? Well, A, a is, is, is pretty simple. Um, I, I believe that, uh, so I, I have two sons who went to the U.S. Naval Academy. They, they had to memorize Teddy Roosevelt's Man in the Arena which talks about the importance of being in the arena, uh, taking the arrows and slings, and, but trying to do good, trying to serve others, and trying to bring about change. That's public service, as opposed to those who would serve on the sidelines who know neither victory nor defeat. I, I'm not very good at standing on the sidelines when there's work to be done, and there's work to be done now more than ever in this state. So uh, I, I'm a proud candidate for governor of what I think to be the greatest state in America, just plain and simple, straight up. Uh, Michelle happens to be uh, the most uh, impressive uh, elected official here in the state that I have run across in some time. And when I met her, it took all of 10 seconds uh, to connect and to see the kind of talent uh, and enthusiasm uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and zest for public service that she has. We got to know each other and the relationship deepened. It deepened between our families. We saw eye to eye in terms of uh, core governing philosophy the priorities for the state. And uh, that then led to uh, a teaming up. And I'm so honored, delighted to have her as uh, as a running mate. I've learned from her already. And I think she just has a fantastic family. Michelle, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Okay, so um, I was born and raised in Provo, actually, and just a homegrown gal that wanted to uh, make a difference. I came from a unique background. I was raised by a single mom with seven kids in our family and a pretty, um, a, a dad that was pretty abusive and, and 
actually when I ran for mayor, they did a deep dive into my background and mm-hmm. my chief of police came back and said, wow, your dad could shut a bar down. And I thought, yep, that's him. <laughs> um, so we weren't, <laughs> we weren't the normal Provo family. And honestly, I'm just going to tell you that was probably the best training ground for me to land where I am Mm -hmm. as the mayor of Provo and in politics, because I was that kid that was on free and reduced lunch and, and was having to be served by the community. But given such a, um, an experience of being served by others, that's what kind of sparked it for me. I wanted to serve and give back. I started in the trenches and have just been kind of pushed to the front and uh, went where my kids went and started uh, in just basic volunteerism and PTA and sure this community needs a park. Yeah, sure. I'll lead out. Let's get a park and just getting myself into a lot of stuff. (laughs) But it was really good for me because I learned a lot along the way. I think my first big win was when it was time for my oldest daughter, Alexis, to take the ACT in, in Provo. I was looking into it and there was a prep class at BYU, but it was really expensive. And for, you know, we were, I have a a bunch of kids and, and they're big eaters and, you know, just trying to stay afloat. I was worried where I was going to find that money to pay for her, the ACT prep class. And then I had this brilliant idea. Well, why don't I just start a free one for the community? And again, my big mouth gets me into stuff and, (laughs) Started that and went to the school board and thought, I'm prepared. I'm sure they're going to help me fund this. Stood up, looked at those seven members, gave my three-minute speech, sat down, and nothing. It was silent. So immediately that energized me to get to work. And um, I knew I had to win one of those seats. So I went to bat against an incumbent and unseated her and kind of went from there and got us our free ACT prep class and took it to the next level, thought, why just Provo? Why not get a free CT class for everyone in the state? And now happily to say every student in the state of Utah takes the ACT their junior year for free. So now they all have the opportunity to go to college and fill that little space in that otherwise they would not have been able to fill in if they wanted to go to get a higher education. So that was kind of my jumping off point. And who would have ever thought I'm the mayor of Provo, the city that I used to just run wild in, but I am. <laughs> and and Amy, you know, you've worked with me for years. Yes. I, I don't take a lot of junk from people. I just kind of put my head down and work. And I work hard, and I expect those around me to do the same. I'm going to ask you a unique question. It's unique to you because you, you have about a, a minute. I, okay, so you have a unique experience. I do want you to know why you know, what your reaction was when Governor Husband invited you to join his ticket. But I also think that I've often seen you as you have been the only other woman in the room where I am at. <laughs> and I just wondered, I know you come from a sports, your husband's a coach and your kids play sports. Did that have anything to do with that? Or what, how do you sort of, I guess, find the courage and the, and the, and the moxie in those situations when a lot of times you were, I watched you, you were the only woman in the room and by far the the most effective force. Well, that has never scared me or never intimidated me. In fact, I love working with men and I say that all the time. Men are wonderful to work with. They are 
we can fight behind closed doors and slam our fists on the table and then we walk out and they forget about it. And the other great thing about working with men is they're so loyal. You win those men over and they will go to bat for you. And so, yeah, a little bit of grit, a little bit of moxie goes a long ways with men. And I, I, I don't get pushed around very often and yeah. and I don't get my feelings hurt. And so I think that's the combination. And so what was your reaction when uh, Governor Huntsman reached out to you? Well, first of all, my when he came and spoke with me, and I'll, I uh, kind of get emotional about it because he's so tender. And I know people probably think Governor Huntsman, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you, he is such a tender soul and a good man and um, just a great family man. And that's probably what drew me to him immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, I just want to say, just listening to you, I mean, it is so commendable that you saw a problem and rather than expect someone else to do something about it, you literally went and said, I got to do something. And it's led you to this <laughs> career. And, and I, I just find that just really commendable. Uh, that's excellent to hear. Listen, uh, I wanna, we're going to continue our discussion. Uh, we're having our candidate conversation. And, and today we're speaking with former Utah Governor John Huntsman Jr. and his running mate, Provo Mayor Michelle Kafusi. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, continuing our candidate conversations for the Utah's Republican Gubernatorial Convention coming up later this month. Uh, joining us today is former Utah Governor John Huntsman Jr. and his running mate, Provo Mayor Michelle Kafusi. And uh, John, I wanted to kind of dive in. Uh, we are all in this stay home, stay safe situation that has been brought on by uh, COVID-19 coronavirus. And uh, right away, I, what I wanted to jump in was kind of the, the economic circumstance that it has uh, kind of re- resulted from it. Because we have so many people who are trying to avoid and uh, being out and about and trying to flatten the curve health-wise, we've kind of created an economic situation that is unprecedented and, and that we're having to deal with now. What, uh, what do you think of the, the, the major things that are, we're having to deal with and, and what we're going to need to do to kind of come out of this uh, in the future? Well, first of all, Jason, I mean, you have to kind of stop and put this all in perspective. And that is, you know, just a couple short months ago, no one had ever heard of this pathogen called COVID-19 outside of a certain line of work. Uh, No one expected it. No one anticipated it. It drops on us and it completely shipwrecks our community uh, economically and from a health standpoint. And all of the issues we were talking about uh, early on in the campaign uh, like growth and for me, mental health which I think is one of the most important issues that uh, that we face as a state, and how to get more opportunities to rural areas. I mean, we've been talking about these as at least my big priorities for the last few months. And then coronavirus hits, something no one expected or anticipated. And we're thrown into this uh, world uh, of anxiety, of uncertainty, with many unanswered questions, because no one's around uh, who remembers the pandemic of, uh, of of 1918, the Spanish flu. So we do our best to listen to the public health officials. Everybody is trying to social distance and to abide by all the protocols that the, the health folks are, are recommending for us. But in the meantime, we have a very serious situation economically. Uh, we are grinding to a dead stop. And we've never seen this before. Businesses don't have customers right now. They're frightened and they're withdrawing. And they really have no choice in many cases but to terminate furlough uh, and to cut. But 
unemployment is going to be the result of that, and bankruptcies are going to be the result of that, insolvency and all of that. And we should be doing everything humanly possible to make sure that we avoid as much of this as possible. Our goal really should be to keep as many people on payroll as possible. And that's going to mean that we do some pretty unorthodox things like maybe draw two to three hundred million dollars from a billion dollar rainy day fund and extend lines of uh, working capital credit to some very needy small businesses right now. Because one thing's for sure, uh, and we learned this, I think, from pandemics past, from 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 crises uh, 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 in our past. This is not going to last forever. There's a chasm that we have to get over. And we're going to have to all pull together and make sure that we deploy resources in sometimes unorthodox ways, uh, live our lives in uh, in ways that may be uncomfortable. But we're going to get to the other side. We'll get through this. We're going to be better prepared for the future, which is going to look a whole lot different than it did before this crisis hit, as it did post 9-11 and as it did post financial crisis, just mm-hmm. like when my grandparents had to weather the Great Depression and World War II. But they prospered and we will prosper too. But we're all trying to kind of recalibrate and triage a bit in terms of what the most important issues are for the state going forward. And then who best to lead out and deal with, namely the economic hole that we're going to find ourselves in short term and long term. Are there anything, is there anything you've learned from this crisis or, or from maybe the shutdowns and the ripple effects that have impacted what your economic plan or strategy was if you won? Well, we had we had a, a, a longer term economic strategy uh, that really builds upon the initial economic strategy that I launched when I was governor last time that really created 15 years of, uh, of remarkable economic growth. Uh, we did tax reform. We rebranded the state life elevated. We created uh, sector specific uh, cluster zones for economic growth. We created the World Trade Center. I mean, on and on and on and on. So now we have to think in the non-traditional sense. This is really triaging a sick patient when you look at the economy. And uh, what we have to start thinking about is how we can begin a reopening strategy, which we don't have. So if you stop to argue that we're probably the healthiest state in America, we're the youngest state uh, on an average age basis in America, we have these great attributes going for us, we can afford to be first in the queue in terms of reopening. That doesn't mean you reopen everything. But just look what Italy is doing right now in Europe. They're beginning to reopen sector by sector, step by step based on risk. You know, everything, of course, has to be based on risk analysis. But people want to feel optimistic about the future. We're tired about the daily counts of how many infected, you know, how many have lost their lives. This this will end at some point, and gladly, Utah is not New York City. We're a much different set of circumstances. And so while all this is playing out, I, I'm really very concerned about a reopen strategy. We just don't have one. Uh, we don't have the specifics of, of how we're going to begin to take steps to make sure that we can mitigate a lot of the economic damage that's already been done. Michelle, you're in an executive position where you're actually mm-hmm. making some of these decisions. What What are your thoughts on, on this? Well, it just like Governor stated, this is such a unique situation. I mean, who would have ever thought they'd even use the word pandemic? Uh, it's just unique. But I just want to, I would start off by saying I'm just so proud of our citizens in Provo because they've really stepped up and taken it serious. Whatever I've asked, whatever I've said, can you please help with this? Can you please respect this? Every citizen has really stepped up. But the most important part is also we're being really proactive down here. We're making cuts already. We're having those surgical 
um, deep dives into each department. I meet one-on-one -on -one with my directors. Uh, they've uh, really understand what's coming our way. But for me, the biggest I, is I want to be ahead of this. I want mm -hmm. to keep as many as our full-time employees employed. Uh, it's painful when you get a call from your director of your library telling me he's going to have to start to furlough the employees. That hurts. So uh, we all feel it. But again, this just echoes. And this is what I was just having a conversation earlier with a delegate this morning. This is another reason why we need Governor Huntsman's leadership and connections. We need them now more than ever because he's got the experience. He's got the connections. He's got the relationships with the White House and and the leaders at the federal level and actually even at the global level. And this pandemic is not just a Utah thing. It's not an America thing. It's a global issue. So we need a leader that's been experienced in global situations. In about a minute, uh, I just want to ask you, Governor, if, you know, as we, we, we kind of lead through this and, and the one thing I've often thought of as much as businesses are hurting, it's individual families and households who aren't able to kind of provide for their families. Is there anything, I mean, specifically that you might consider doing for them even? Well, half of our country has no savings at all. Some of them are getting stimulus checks today, but a whole lot are not. So when I say draw down two to $300 million from the rainy day fund, what is the most important thing we can do for people in this state? A state of terrific people who really dedicate themselves to their jobs. It is making sure we keep people employed, uh, making sure that businesses don't send out pink slips. And there's only one way to get that done. That is cash in the hands of small business. Short term, zero interest loans. We can work out the repayment schedule later, but we've got to make sure that we don't send people off into the unemployment line, a single mom, a single dad with other concerns, maybe underlying mental health issues, nowhere to turn. That is what we don't want to see happen. And, and I'm afraid that we're seeing that all too often in today's environment. We're having a candidate conversation with a former Utah Governor John Huntsman Jr. and his running mate for governor in this particular race coming up, uh, Pro Provo Mayor Michelle Kafusi. You're listening to Voices of Reason. with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, having a candidate conversation today with former Utah Governor John Huntsman Jr. and his running mate uh, for Lieutenant Governor in this coming up in this race coming up is uh, Provo Mayor Michelle Kafusi. And uh, Amy, you wanted to lead off with a question, uh, yeah. either, what is it, education or medicine? Well, I wanted to talk education with my friend Michelle Kafusi, who's uh, probably knows more about education than all of us combined, but because um, she spent some time on uh, in local government, like you said, from the ground up, PTA. Up. What do you, what have you learned through this pandemic? I mean, we had to go to online education in about two days, three days time. Um, now the kids are not going to get to go back to school. There's no graduations. Um, what what do, what have you learned so about that we can take positively from this situation about education? Well, first of all, Amy, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the teachers. These teachers are amazing. I mean, to jump online with their students and manage this. I was reading an article that stated some states it took them two weeks to get organized. I know in Provo it took us two days, and we were up and running and online with our students. Another piece that I'm really sensitive to is I have a little niece that's actually the student body president at East High, 
Um, and she is, this was her year. I mean, this the senior year was going to be a big year for her with all the activities and events and the graduation. And so I just want to applaud those kids who are really having to sacrifice because of this pandemic. They're in a, such a unique situation and all those those fun uh, experiences they were hoping to experience are going to be different. Mm -hmm. uh, the beauty of it, as when I talked to her, is it's, they're being creative and they're coming up with other ideas and other ways, but it won't be the same as the the stories they've seen and heard from their older siblings. But mm -hmm. um, has it impacted ha them? Has it impacted your thoughts on what kind of education policies you wanted to pursue if you guys win? Oh, absolutely. And I and Amy, you kind of know where I stand. Mm -hmm. Education is such a personal issue. Um, I know as the board president of public education and parents would say, oh, what should I do, president? My fourth grader, I hate to pull him out for two weeks, but my husband and I have this chance to take him to Argentina. And I would always say, take him to Argentina. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Life experiences are so important and each child learns different. And this just maybe gets us our minds. I, I know it's open mind. I know it's open many others that brick and mortar is not the answer for every single student. Uh, this really has been an eye-opening experience. And I was saying uh, the other day, it's not going to be getting back to the regular. It's going to be getting back to the new normal because our new normal, the needle's changed on this with education. You know, Amy, one thing that's happening you know, without our fully realizing it is the whole uh, paradigm for education has changed mm -hmm. uh, with COVID-19. So er everyone is being homeschooled. Mm -hmm. Everyone is engaging in long distance learning. And that probably means a couple of things. One, we all have much greater appreciation for teachers in the classroom and the multiplicity of roles that they play. Uh, some of them really unexpected, but they're thrust into a lot of situations given the diverse classrooms that we have in the state. Uh, and, and I think parents are probably growing closer to how challenging it can be to get education right because they're sitting with their kids. We're, we're going through it here in our home. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're sitting with your kids and you're, and you're walking them through it as if you were the teacher. Uh, and so I, I think there is, from a positive standpoint, a stepped-up appreciation for the role of education uh, in our community, uh, B, the important role that teachers play, uh, and see maybe this whole new paradigm of, hey, we're actually doing this out of the classroom. So what does that mean longer term? Does it mean that there's more distant learning, distance learning opportunities? I, I don't know. But what I do know from having served as governor, because any governor is going to be very, very close to education. You get around to schools in every corner of the state. You hang out with teachers all the time and principals, and you're out with students. You're speaking at graduations, and it really is a special thing that a governor gets to do, but also as, as a dad of seven. So I've come to just conclude a couple of things because we've done homeschooling. We've done public schooling. We've done private schooling. I've had two sons in a military academy. We've done international schools. We've, we've basically done it all, seen it all. And I walk away from that concluding that every child learns differently. They all walk into the classroom with a different temperament, a different style, a different aptitude for learning. And it means we forever are going to have to be looking at creative ways to bring up the, the genius in every one of our kids. That just doesn't happen in a plain old one-size-fits-all kind of setting. So I think innovation in the classroom, innovation in terms of how – uh, curricula is, is developed, 
being open to teacher recommendations in terms of how we teach maybe differently in a classroom and, and having different choices for, for, for educational opportunities for our kids, whether charter or other uh, opportunities, I think is really, really important as we go forward. Hey, uh, I know Jason's going to talk to you about healthcare, but let me ask you a super quick follow-up on that. Um, can you, as a governor, do anything about, I think the relationship between the legislature and public education has always been a little fraught. Um, it's had some good moments and some really bad moments. Is there anything the governor can do in that is leadership wise or is there nothing? That's just a relationship between them. Well, listen, there, there, there's, there are institutional tensions that are going to exist even in the best of circumstances. And I think the legislature actually does pretty good with the UEA, uh, which is the representative body for teachers. And I think it's maybe better than it than it has been in some time but there are always going to be stresses and strains there because you're always having discussions about resources and uh, at the end of the day the governor can step in and advocate for like when i advocated for the language immersion program which mm -hmm. you know we started when i was governor now it's it's the national leader in terms of getting kids schooled in 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 two languages so we've got some of our kids in public schools now that spend half a day in Chinese uh, language study, uh, there are classes at least in Chinese language and half English. And that's the same with Spanish and French. And, you know, you can come up and promote either funding uh, 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 programs like the language immersion program, compensation for teachers. I like the idea that we can actually um, use principles maybe a little differently because they really are the leader on deck who can boost morale, uh, up the, uh, uh, the overall uh, output of a school uh, in terms of what they're able to accomplish. I think they play a significant role that sometimes is unappreciated. Well, why can't we maybe base compensation on what they're able to achieve uh, and what their school is able to achieve? Th things like that. So, so a governor should be in a position where they can stand up and advocate for things just as the legislature is advocating, and it becomes a big discussion and debate. And uh, in the end, votes are cast, and that's how, that's how, that's how budgets are made. Well, I don't want to start this question uh, right now. We'll come back and start with healthcare on, on the next segment. But what I appreciate is that each of you have had enough experience to understand how important education is and how important addressing it in a way that is going to be impactful for a long term is, is going to help all of us. So I, I greatly appreciate that. We're having a candid conversation uh, with former Utah Governor John Huntsman Jr. and his running mate for lieutenant governor in our upcoming election, uh, Provo Mayor Michelle Kafusi. You're listening to Voices of Reason. back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, having a candid conversation today with former Utah Governor John Huntsman Jr. and his running mate for Lieutenant Governor, uh, Provo Mayor Michelle Kafusi. And I wanted to ask you guys both, uh, and I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Governor. You know, since we are in this uh, kind of COVID uh, crisis situation, what what has this shown us about our healthcare system and uh, how we can, you know, improve it in a way that we can address situations like this if they ever come up in the future? Well, a pandemic is a lot different than any other public health concern that, that you have uh, in, in a lot of different ways. But as it relates to traditional health care, and I like to think that mental health can be thrown into this because until we get mental health on an equal footing 
with uh, with our traditional physical health, uh, we're not going to be where we need to be. Right now, it's diminished, both in terms of uh, insurance reimbursements and the kind of support that we get uh, when we go into a, a clinic or a hospital. So, but, but as it relates to healthcare, I think one of our key goals needs to be how do we drive down costs? Because right now it is so inaccessible uh, and out of reach, at least insurance uh, policies for a whole lot of people and insurance policies are out of reach because overall healthcare costs are rising at double digit uh, rates per year. Uh, and it's, uh, you look at healthcare as a percentage of our GDP and it's probably 20%. Now, when I was born, it was probably 1% to 2% of our GDP. So what has happened over the years to boost and escalate costs to the extent they have? I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. But here's what I think we can do about it. I think we can go some distance in this state in providing greater transparency in what health care costs. So when you go in to see a doctor, when you go into, be, into a clinic, we never get a menu of what your options are, what you're asked to to, to to be done in terms of tests or procedures and then and then what they're going to cost so often so when was the last time you went into a clinic and they said oh we got to take a look at your neck or your back and uh, and you need an MRI well maybe an x-ray will get you the same thing an MRI is fifteen hundred dollars an x-ray is 150 dollars and and so on so uh, so forth we don't do an adequate job when it comes to transparency around medical costs and I would love to see, uh, our clinics and our hospitals and our doctor's offices uh, uh, make available what procedures cost and let the consumers choose, because I think that will drive costs in a much different way than uh, than is the case today, where you're just told to do something. Number two, I think insurance policies need to be centered around uh, more affordable, accessible, portable policies that uh, are are different than what we have today. And I think we have an opportunity with the insurance uh, regulatory bodies being state by state, not being federal. So they're under state control. So in this state, and I listen, I tampered with this before, and we actually got uh, an insurance policy that was an affordable insurance policy. It was more of a catastrophic policy, but at least it was something for the large group of uninsured in the state who are mostly between 18 and 35 years of, of age. I call them the young immortal population. They're never going to die. So why do they need insurance? But uh, one of the reasons being is that they have to make choices in terms of where they deploy their, 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 their income. Uh, and th many just can't afford insurance policies. Well, we have to change that dynamic. And I think we can. And if we do that, I think there are implications for Medicaid as well. Uh, which is, you know, largely a, a federal program. But I think the state can probably step up and play more of a role. The state should play more of a role in terms of taking costs out of health care generally. I'm so, pausing. Uh, Mayor, I, I was wondering hey, if you Jason, had anything to add on that one. Um, we, dropped, we lost Michelle, so I was, that's why I was no. pausing. So okay. we're going to have to edit. If she reconnects, then okay. we can – it looked like she was reconnecting. Are you there, Michelle? I, I think I – it says connecting. Oh, there she is. Michelle? Yep, I'm back. Okay. There we go. All right. This is perfect. No worries. Okay. So, Michelle, I'm just going to ask you a kind of a follow-up, if that's, if that's okay. Okay. Okay, so so here we go. So, Michelle, uh, have, having heard what the governor said, do you have anything to add with regard to how uh, health care can be, uh, you know, somehow improved uh, going forward? Yeah, so um, I actually did, wasn't able to hear what he said, but I have heard him speak on this, and we do match up. We agree. 
on this. Uh, the idea of having more say so on what happens when you go to the doctor's office. I really do believe it's something we need to take a deep dive in. Um, often I've heard Governor Huntsman talk about a menu of some sorts, and that is something we can look at. So often we've gone to the doctor and heaven knows I've been in there a million times with my athletic kids that are <laughs> tend to be clumsy and get hurt a lot. And all I get is a huge bill at the end of the day. And with no opportunity to question or ask, I just start paying the bill. Mm -hmm. So yes, we've definitely got to take a deep dive into it. Um, the best part of this is uh, with Governor Huntsman and his leadership, we'll be able to pull the top experts into the room, have the conversation and make some changes because this pandemic has taught us a lot. It's opened our eyes and it's actually given us the opportunity to have the conversation about health care and what's best. Thank you. Um, I, I wonder, uh, Governor, you want to go first and Michelle, you go second. Um, I wonder if you have um, experiences in your life, challenges or adversities that you have gone through that maybe put you on a different path than you expected or that... Uh, changed uh, your, your goals? Yeah, well, listen, lo losing elections starting in high school uh, can have a profound effect <laughs> on uh, on one's view of yourself, on your overall level of confidence. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we all know people go through confidence crises in life, and uh, that's one way of uh, triggering them. Uh, I, I'm not going to call that a, a huge crisis in my life, but you know, I've, I've, I've had a couple of defeats in that regard. And those are, those are life, uh, lessons. Uh, I think losing a, a sister to, to, uh, a drug overdose, um, and, and living through that with her and living the years running up to that, where there were some very, uh, strong mental illness issues at play, uh, has transformed my life. Uh, in, in ways that few others have. Uh, having a daughter with juvenile diabetes uh, has transformed my life in terms of how you recalibrate, uh, how you sort of uh, prioritize things around family life uh, and, and what you become passionate about. And uh, so mental health, is it a passion of mine? Uh, absolutely, it is a passion of mine. Uh, so things like that come along in life and, you know, everyone is subject to them and, and they are life altering and life changing experiences. Mayor? Well, and do you want me? To, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Something I just, people would expect is just kind of my upbringing, but I've been at, on the front row of watching um, a different view of something that most people don't get. And that's the fact that I married an immigrant and I keep forgetting to talk about this often, but it really is a big deal. I married Steve. He's, his family migrated to Salt Lake City. He was eight years old. And to be married into this family and watch their struggles, it's really interesting. To And it has taught me a lot. I'm hypersensitive to people from different backgrounds and different cultures because I live, I live it with my family um, and their needs and their struggles. And which also just, you know, flames the, f the fire in me that wants me to help those and make sure that I pay attention to those. Last thing I want to ask you, both of you, and I, I guess the first thing I'll start with you, Governor, is uh, why should people want to vote for you? Why should uh, they cast their vote for uh, the Huntsman-Kafusi ticket? Well, because I have a great running mate. 
<laughs> I think that should end the discussion right there. <laughs> um, you, you know, it. That's Jason, awesome. This, <laughs> this is uh, this is a crisis moment for our state, for for our nation, and and really for our world. And if ever there was a time for experienced, hands-on, visionary leadership, it it would be now. This isn't a time to fool around with uh, experimenting uh, in the governor's office. This is a time where we need steady, able management. And I look at Michelle and I see what she has done in one of the largest cities in our state, the way in which she is respected. I say that's the kind of leadership that I think is needed in the state at this moment. So we, we go through cycles of history where maybe other leadership styles might be in vogue or maybe you can afford to – to, to kind of throw caution to the wind and experiment a little bit. But no, that's not where we sit today. We sit at a crisis moment where experience, vision, and leadership really, really are needed. And sure. I just agree with that 100%. It is. Especially the part about vision. you being the lieutenant governor. <laughs> <laughs> and I second that too, Amy. <laughs> No. Yeah, a part of that, the piece of working with Governor Huntsman is he's so open and willing and he realizes that I'm the type of person that can't sit still and can't not have projects. So our expectation is to get in there and work together and be proactive and to for me to go off of his leadership and experience. He's had this experience. We have never experienced a pandemic. We need someone in that office that has the experience, has the connections, and is eager to serve. I mean, honestly, the man won't stop. He wants to serve <laughs> this state. He believes in Utah. John Huntsman Jr. and Michelle Kafusi, uh, thank you so much. And best of luck to you uh, going forward. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to you again. Jason, Amy, thanks a lot. It's been so great being with you. And thanks to Michelle. Yeah. Thank ah. you Thank you. A superstar. Not only the kids and her uh, husband, but Michelle, uh, the biggest of all. Yeah. Oh, thanks. He's so nice. Yeah. Join us again thanks, for Governor. the next episode. Thanks. Join us again for the next episode of the Voices uh, Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at AD on Sports and at Jason Lee One. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.